Um, so in presenting the new dial, uh, Decalogue, paragraph D, to the world, Jesus um, is not in Jerusalem. He withdraws from Jerusalem and even from the habitations of man, just as Moses withdrew and he received the Ten Commandments on a mountain, on Mount Sinai, um, he withdrew to the desert. So this is, again, it's like Jesus is the greater Moses. And so here he is pictured as the greater Moses. He's on the mountain. He's handing out the new Decalogue. Um, it's in contrast to the Ten Commandments, but not uh, replacing the Ten Commandments. It's just a different way to look at things. So um, we're going to get more of this. Um, paragraph E. God had given the Decalogue of the law that condemns sin to Moses on Mount Sinai amidst thunder and lightning. Here Jesus gives his intimate disciples the ten invitations to perfect love seated with them in the scrub of the earth. Okay, The earth serves as his throne as he inscribes the law of his heart onto not onto tablets of stone but onto the hearts of men. So all of this is just so special. Um, when we look at Moses in the Old Testament and what he did, he was a type of Christ. We can really um, know that Jesus, when coming as the Messiah, he's going to, we're going to see in Jesus all these pictures that we've seen before in the Old Testament. He's a type of Moses. He's a type of David. He's a type of Joshua. And so we're going to see him do what he's called to do as new Messiah, as the Messiah. All these pictures in the Old Testament were all leading up to him. So, um, paragraph F. When Jesus begins, um, the word says he opened his mouth. Now, it's so easy to blow by that and not think that means anything, but it's so significant. Um, it's particularly important that God is opening his mouth to teach man in man's own language and understanding. No other man had ever uttered exclusively and without exception throughout his entire life the very thoughts of God as coming from himself. Every other teaching or thought or distraction of any kind must stop and listen at now to the one who is pure truth. Okay, this is so powerful. Isaiah chapter 2, it, it speaks of this, it's like a millennial uh, passage, but it's speaking of Jesus setting up his throne on the mountain that's above every other mountain in Jerusalem, and how people will flow, um, leaders, people will flow from the ends of the earth to go and hear him teach. He's going to open his mouth again and teach. So we need to write, really get around this. This is super, super important. Jesus is physically and bodily coming back to the earth. <laughs> like, it's, it's hard to imagine that. Because it's been a long time. It's hard to imagine the God-man, Jesus, is going to split the sky. He's going to come back. He's going to put his feet on planet earth. And he's going to teach from his mouth again. Isaiah chapter 2 unpacks it really well as one of these 
passages in the millennial reign, I mean, it says he's going to rebuke people. He's going to, like, nation will no longer lift up sword against nation. It says he's going to teach us his ways. So there's a sense in which we don't really get it very well the first time, right? He's going to come back. He's going to teach us his ways, you know? And I, I mean, who knows but what he might begin to unpack Sermon on the Mount, right? Again, he's going to teach us his ways. These are his ways. And the fact that he opened his mouth and as God in teaching in our language, there's nothing more powerful than that. So that's why it is, it is really important that we get around the letters in red in our Bible. <laughs> you know, this is the God man. There's not anything more high than that. <laughs> you know, so uh, paragraph G. The meaning of the word blessed in the Beatitudes, um, one meaning of that is sometimes it's translated happy. That's not such a great translation, but another way it would be fortunate. Fortunate because it means that the person in question possesses a good that many desire to have but do not have for whatever reason. Like you're blessed. You have something, okay? So he's looking out at the crowds. And he's saying, fortunate. He's speaking to them. Fortunate are you if you're poor in spirit. Okay, so the good, the thing that we have, um, that all of us, you know, those who, he, his listeners, right, has nothing to do with desired wishes. For many possess this state without wishing it. Okay, so if we are mourning, if we are poor in spirit or, you know, these are not things we desire in the natural. These things that he says, oh, you're blessed. You, you're poor in spirit. We would not think that's a blessing because what that means is that we are bankrupt. <laughs> we have zero. That's not a good feeling in the flesh, right? In the flesh, you're like, God, I don't have anything. I mean, so many times I feel that bankruptcy, it doesn't feel good. I feel like, oh no, <laughs> Lord, you're the king. I have nothing to bring you. You know, what gift do I have? You know, the only thing I have is what you've given me. <laughs> you know, and really the only thing he hasn't um, given us is our own misery. And he says, yeah, give me that. You know, <laughs> let me have your misery. I'm going to give you what I have. You know, so he's, but, but we don't like to come and bring him our misery. We wish we had some something, you know, to offer this king, but we have, we really have nothing. <laughs> we really have nothing. Um, but he says, fortunate are you if you have nothing. We just wouldn't think that would be a good thing, <laughs> but it is a really good thing. Um, paragraph H. The Lord's about to bring forth the most profound teaching of the paradoxical kingdom of God. That's what these Beatitudes are. They are so paradoxical. He will actually show the treasures of these states of life as something valuable and desirable that the world disdains and even scorns. So, and this, like, this is for everyone. You know, he, he sat with his disciples, but there was also a multitude there. And 
he started to unpack, oh, you all are so fortunate. And they're thinking, I, <laughs> you must not mean me. <laughs> but he's like, no, you are. Let me tell you why. Um, paragraph I, Jesus maps out in these Beatitudes the royal road of the cross. For those who enjoy worldly wealth have no need for God, and they may not choose this path. But those who know their need, embrace their sufferings, use these difficulties of life as a means to follow the suffering servant, will come to know the narrow way, the way of the cross, the way of sacrificial love. Those who are least, those who are the most empty, those who are the most weak are precisely the ones who have the greatest opportunity to know God's strength and fullness of his life. Okay, the new Decalogue of the Beatitudes are no longer negative commands forbidding sin, but instead are a pathway the road, the, mean, the means of following God to live a life that is God-like, to be in it, imitators of the divine life. Um, and there's that passage in Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11, about how he emptied himself. That's like this. So he came and he... How does the Son of God empty himself? It doesn't even really make sense, Right? <laughs> But somehow he set his divinity kind of aside and he emptied himself and he lived this life so that we could live this life. It's not supposed to be something that's impossible. Even though we read it and we go, that's impossible. <laughs> it is apart from his help, his Holy Spirit, right? And that's where we have our bankruptcy. We're poor in spirit. We're like, Lord, this is impossible, but with you, all things are possible. So it is possible in Christ. Um, and uh, the fact that he demonstrated it himself by being acquainted with grief, being acquainted with sorrows, with suffering, with pain, with rejection, with misery, with troubles, right? Family problems. He had those things. And he lived this so that we might live this. So he's giving us the perfect example. Um, paragraph L. The word of truth is dispensing his divine life through his words and imparting his ways into his listeners. For all who would receive his message and embrace this royal road of the cross. The Beatitudes are the revealing of what it is to be partakers of the divine nature. And this life is truly the life that is the most fortunate, the most blessed. So when we want to be like him, we need to know we're following the way of the cross. Amen. That's where we're going. It doesn't, it's not going to be a path that our flesh likes. Mm -hmm. However, we can be full of joy and full of being blessed and fortunate 
following him even in the midst of in fact these things these trials these troubles suffering pain all of these things if we could begin to see them through a completely different um, perspective as opportunity to be partakers of the divine nature that's what these problems that we have they're all opportunities to be partakers of the divine nature because when you are rejected you can look at the cross and go he was rejected so much more he always went further than we will have to go you know when you look at um, you know even like loneliness he was lonely his friends you know forsook him and he had to go the way of the cross without friends you know and there were John and Mary were following but you know most of the disciples took off <laughs> you know? and and he felt the pain of the separation of the father like he actually entered into all of our pain because we were separated from the father and so he entered into that and now we can enter into his pain this is the great exchange like he entered into our pain fully so that to bridge that gap now in our lives we can enter into some of his pain not the fullness of it we can't drink that cup but he gives us drops he gives us like a little drop like whatever the thing it is that we're going through if you look at the cross you'll find that he went through that and even more and you can go oh lord you're letting me know like a little bit of what you went through and if we know a little bit of what he went through we get bonded to him in that place and that's what's so so special and about being partakers of the divine nature there's nothing like suffering to bond people like if you look at even like World War II vets or something right nobody knows what they went through but each other right They're, they have a special bond well, when we are bonded to the Lord that way, when he gives us opportunities, it fuses us to him. And there is such intimacy in this, like you can't get any other way. So all of these things we go through, they're opportunities. Um, okay, paragraph M. He will bring forth his words like, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Okay, this is in Sermon on the Mount later. Not to discourage us of the impossibility of it, but instead to open up the royal road to this blessed life as, the, as a real possibility. And he then gives concrete examples in the natural of what this looks like. You know, like I put down forgive 70 times 7, right? Because wasn't it Peter or somebody that said, how many times should I forgive my brother? And the Lord's like, 70 times 7, you because know, he says up to 7 times. <laughs> He's basically saying infinite number. Why wouldn't you want to? You know, that's what he did for us. Why wouldn't we want to do that? Um, paragraph N, each one of these Beatitudes is actually an absolute declaration meaning that what makes for this blessedness is not trying to do them like a to-do list, 
but instead they are interior virtues to possess. With the possession of these interior virtues comes bliss, complete joy. So um, it's something that he's doing inside, you know, in our innermost being. These are virtues to be possessed, okay? So that's why our journey, that's why it's not just book knowledge here, right? It's like our whole journey is about this. Our whole journey is opportunity to um, begin to possess these virtues that he had, and it comes with. Go ahead, Len. It's just, um, it's almost appalling in a way to grow up in the Christian church and learn these kind of like you learn your ABCs, but not ever really have the model or the teaching that these are to be internalized things. These, If you belong to Jesus, these are the things you aspire to because these are the things, this is how he lived. Right. Mm-hmm. And as his followers, this is, this is, this is how he lived. These are the, these are the virtues of the kingdom that you don't possess, you possess a little bit, but there's a, a continuum mm-hmm. over your lifetime yeah. and these are going to go and I guess the thing that's appalling to me is uh, to never have them introduced to never really have seen them in that way other than oh that was Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount mm-hmm. next and go on to the next thing Yeah. and it's like it's such a central it's such a central thing right after he calls his disciples he sits them down and says yes you know, they didn't live up to them either at the time, but... Right. And that's, I guess it's just a, just my observation. That's, here I am, having lived and walked a long time, and some of these have not internalized very well. Mm-hmm. They're almost external. Mm-hmm. They're teaching of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And you think of, well, Jesus was... He was special. Well, he came to show us what a man living with his with his spirit in us. Right. These are things we can, we might not live them perfectly, but we can aspire to them. That's right. Yes. And it's like, wow. uh, it's sad. It's, yeah. I feel like I missed out on a really huge thing yeah. that, you know, we're focused on little things, mm-hmm. little behavioral controls, and miss this big, deep character transformation that he yeah. wants to do inside us. Yeah. So true. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing well, that. Well, I was just, I'm just sharing that to my experiences. Yes. Yeah. So. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of sad, really. It is. My, I mean, I feel, I feel that for myself, too. You know? I'm just barely starting to get around some of this stuff. You know? So, um, paragraph O. Those who live according to the desires of the Lord's heart, as here expressed, have undertaken a, and they use, this book brought out the Spanish point of (laughs) aventura, because actually it was the Spanish that nailed it, you know, like in this thing. And so I just put it in there because I'm like, okay, this is right. It's a good adventure. They hasten toward God who calls them to leave everything behind. The deepest Christian emotion may well be precisely the boundless, silent joy that wells up at the center of our being. 
every time we realize who it is that calls us and what he is calling us to and how marvelous the road is that he himself has prepared for us by first treading it himself. Only the adventuresome hearts are capable of following Jesus intimately. It's powerful. Um, so that's the overview on the Beatitudes. These are virtues to possess, and what's amazing is when he speaks out to the multitude, he's speaking to them as, as if many of them already possess some of these things. Blessed are you if you're poor. Blessed are you if you're mourn, you know, if you're mourning. Blessed are you. He's speaking to them as if they already possess something. And it's like, and they're probably like, what? <laughs> That's a good thing? So it's, it's powerful. Um, and it's for all of us. It's for all of us to aspire to. Okay, so poor in spirit. Here we go. First beatitude. Um, A, to be radically dependent on God. Literally every breath dependent. To cling to God with every fiber of one's being and have absolutely nothing to offer to God is the highest fortune and ultimate bliss. It does not feel that way. I'll just say that. It feels so opposite. So, and this is what we have to kind of get used to with the kingdom of God and with the paradox of the kingdom of God is that it doesn't go with how you feel. But it goes opposite. Most of the time, our feelings are opposite of what is truly what God is trying to <laughs> do and get across to us. So, um, paragraph B, utter blessedness and extreme poverty are made identical in this declaration. Uh, paragraph C, in the first Decalogue on Mount Sinai, the law revealed how far men, man is from being like God because sin continually condemns him. This new Decalogue reveals how much man can be like God through humility of heart and interior poverty. However, this likeness can only occur, this passing over the chasm into his likeness through union with the God-man who is the one proclaiming this beatitude and by which he is inviting each soul hearing this word into the very union of relationship whereby imitation of his example is possible in him. So it's so powerful. It's, and I know pretty much can speak for almost everyone I think when it's so easy to get under the condemnation side like we sin or whatever we get under condemnation and that's not where the Lord wants us to be that's that's like he doesn't want us to be in that place in Christ there is no more any condemnation right so we need to flip over to this side of the Beatitudes and instead just embrace this humility of heart, this bankruptcy that we have, because it's this total bankruptcy that causes us to lean on our beloved. We come up leaning, 
you know, and it, there's just so many examples in the Bible of this, but um, Jacob wrestling with God, you know, like they have a wrestling match and the Lord touches his hip and he comes out with a limp, you know, <laughs> and the limp was a blessing to him, you know, because then he was following the Lord in a whole new way after that. <laughs> So whatever it takes, God's after us, you know, to get us leaning on him. Um, Paragraph D, the person who is poor in spirit is one who continually offers his nothingness to God. And the very substance of their being becomes the offering. Not only are those who are poor in spirit in his kingdom, that is, members of it, but that this kingdom belongs to them, which is to bring them into the very family of God himself. By their radical poverty, they have been made royal, even as he is royal because he stripped himself of all things except obedience to the Father's will. So again, like he came and emptied himself He filled up this chasm. He emptied our space so that we could come and receive of him. I mean, it's the great exchange. It really is the great exchange. The kingdom of God belongs to the poor in spirit. That's so powerful. Because it doesn't feel that way. Again, I don't know if you've ever had that sense of, Lord, I have nothing with which to give you. That, it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good because he's a king. You want to have something to bring. You want to have an offering. And he's like, give me your empty self. <laughs> That's what he's asking for. Give me you with all of your empty, your emptiness. That's what I want. I have a story to say after. Let me just go through the last um, paragraph E. Very intentional is the Lord in these Beatitudes. He does not say, blessed are those who fast and pray and give alms. These are the works that are only good and wholly dependent on the spirit of poverty in which they are performed. The Lord warns us against fasting, prayer, and giving like the Pharisees. The poverty spirit instills in us the humble attitude, forgetful of self, an interior emptiness, a knowing that our life is just a vapor, a mere breath, and that what is asked of us is a receptive heart. Like the deer that pants for the water, so the soul must long for him alone. He is offering himself to us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. This is the whole intent of the Beatitudes. Um, the story I was just thinking of, um, I, I think it kind of fits in here. Um, I was in the prayer room one day, um, some years ago, and sitting back at the sound table like I normally am, (laughs) and I started to see a picture of, um, in my spirit, just of the wedding at Cana. 
And so I'm seeing this, oh, it's the wedding of Cana. It's just kind of like in me, you know? So I turned to my Bible uh, to begin to read about it because I thought the Lord must be speaking something to me right now about the wedding of Cana. And so I started to read John chapter 2. And it says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And the second I read that first three words, on the third day, or the four words, on the third day, I was um, overcome by the Holy Spirit in a dramatic way. I just began in a travailing prayer and weeping, and I had to leave the room and go to the back because I'm like, okay, Lord's doing something right now, you know? And um, this phrase, on the third day, if you begin to look it up in Scripture, it's all it's in different places throughout Scripture, several different places, where it's speaking of the millennial reign of Christ. That is like the third day. So if you look at Exodus 19 and 20, I think there's some in Habakkuk. There's just like different places. If you do a search on, on the third day, you'll start to get a picture of what this is because... To the Lord, a day is as a thousand years. A thousand years is as a day. So it's been like two days, right, since the cross. And the third day is pictured in Scripture as the millennial reign of Christ. And so when I read on the third day, something hit my spirit like a... uh, It was just so powerful because I felt like the Lord, like there was like a reenacting of this scene, the wedding feast of Cana, and I was like in it. So I'm in this like experience with the Lord, and in this experience, I'm seeing the Mary interceding, and there's a crisis. They have no more wine, you know? I mean, this is a huge crisis, and I'm getting just the feel of this whole crisis, and... Um, I'm understanding that we are in this space and time in history that is likened to what was happening there. So in other words, Jesus had his 30 years, right, pretty much hidden, like he wasn't a public figure. But then at the wedding feast of Cana, when he changes water to wine and he does his first miracle, He becomes a public figure. And it's from that moment on that shifts everything. And from that moment on, he is like beeline to the cross. You know, he is like, here here we go. And so there's, it's it's a really interesting story because it almost seems like he doesn't want to do that miracle. And then, but Mary's like interceding. And then I, the way I kind of picture it is he, he's at a wedding. And he's thinking of his bride. And he's thinking, I came here for this. I came here because there's going to be a wedding feast. It's going to be my wedding. (laughs) And so he's like, I'm doing this miracle. And when I do this miracle, I'm going. And I'm not looking back. I'm going to the cross. And so everything shifts with that miracle. And I felt like the Lord was showing me this scene that was like our history, our time. We were approaching this time where there's going to be a shift. And the shift is going to be 
like for the church what it was for Christ. Where the church at this moment, when this shift happens, changing water to wine, and I'll kind of explain what I feel like the Lord is showing me in this. When this happens, it's going to be a beeline for the Great Tribulation. Where the church comes up, it's basically like the cross for the church. Unto the greatest thing that's ever, you know, like the cross birthed the redemption of man. And so the cross for the church will birth the millennial reign of Christ. And so we are, in this experience that I was having with the Lord, part of the crisis, I saw Mary interceding, and it was like, um, bring me the empty vessels, you know? And the impression that I got was these, um, these empty vessels that he wants are us. He wants us, the empty vessels. Like he wants us to be empty, emptied of everything else because he wants to take these empty vessels. And in that story, these, these, these um, water pots were used for purification. They are big water pots used for washing. And so I felt like he wants the purified, you know, he wants us purified and emptied. <laughs> so that he can do what he wants to do. And what he wants to do is fill us to the brim with Holy Spirit, you know, which is like the water. But what is it then, what does it mean when he changes water to wine? And I, I felt like in this um, encounter with the Lord that changing water to wine was likened to um, Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, it speaks of the fullness of Christ in us, made manifest. That's like the water to wine. So there's such a transformation that takes place inside of us that we become Christ to the world. We become like his vessels, like transformation, conforming to him at the highest level that we might live out his life again on the earth, however he wants that to look through each one of us. Like each one is a different facet, you know? But um, but he, part of what I felt in this experience was that I was, I felt an urgency and a um, crisis that there weren't hardly any empty vessels. And that's the part that I was like, oh, no. You know, and I was bringing him, and I was like a servant to him, bringing him these water pots, bringing him these empty vessels. But I felt like there's not enough empty vessels. And so I just share that because it was such a powerful um, experience in the Lord that he just did. And, I mean, that doesn't happen to me that often. Um, But I felt like, oh, that we're... We're approaching a time when there's going to be such a shift that happens in the body of Christ that it's like the wedding feast at Cana. Mm -hmm. And when we begin to understand the day and the hour in which we're living and the importance of the times, like where we're at right now, once we get that, it will be like beeline, (laughs) you know, like, Here we go, Lord, we're with you all the way. 
all the way, you know, until you split the sky and come. Whatever this means, whatever this looks like, martyrdom, whatever, you know, here we go. Beeline, just focus, gaze, here we go. So I think that's, um, I think that's kind of where we're at in history. We're at this space in time. It's so thin where he's about ready to do something that it won't be repeated, you know? It's going to shift everything. And he really does want us to be awake and emptied of every lesser, all the lesser things that we get clogged up with in our water pot. (laughs) And um, so that's it. That's my prayer that you know, perhaps even this class would help be catalytic to helping us all to empty ourselves. That we might become those empty vessels that he can use at the highest level. Um, Why don't we close up in prayer and then I will take any questions or thoughts or reflections that you might be having. Lord Jesus, we just come before you, God, and we present ourselves to you right now, Lord, as living sacrifices, God, which is the only reasonable thing to do, Lord, in light of the cross. Lord, we just present ourselves to you. God, I pray that deep on the inside of each of us we would be awakened Lord, to the time that we're living in, Lord, that we're so close to that moment in time when everything shifts and things move fast. And so, Lord, I pray that you would root us and ground us in the deepest level of love. Root us and ground us so deeply, Lord, that we are not shaken at all by anything going on. We would be founded upon the rock We could be in the midst of the storm and sleeping with you in the boat. God, I just, I pray that, Lord, for each one of us, we would be just so rooted, Lord, so, so rooted. So help us, God, I just ask you to help each one of us, Lord, to just take us to the next place in you, God, whatever that looks like. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. How are we doing on time? Does anybody have a...